0: Good morning Jubilee Church. It is so good to be speaking to you um, this morning. You'll have to forgive me if I look in the wrong camera. We've got cameras in front of us. I can see myself on a screen. It's just, yeah, it's mind-boggling. But what we're going to do is we are going to um, just speak to you this morning from the book of Ezra. Now, as you know, we're doing a series and uh, in this part, within the next 20 to 25 minutes, I am going to speak to you from Ezra chapter 4, 5 and 6. Oh yes, that is what I'm going to do. It's not going to be that much, honestly. And I'm not even going to read chapter 4, 5 and 6 out to you. Um, I'm just going to focus on a few verses. But that is the context in which I am speaking to you today. So we know the exiles have been returning to Jerusalem. They've been rebuilding the altar, doing the foundations for the walls. The city is going to be rebuilt. And then in Ezra chapter four, the Israelites are approached by people already living in the land with an offer of help. How amazing. An offer of help. But the Israelites turn them down. They say, "No, thank you. We don't want your help. Off you go. You are not part of us." These people then, over the, the over the chapter four and five, they they cause trouble. They stir up trouble against the Israelites. And then, rather strangely, the narrator of this story, this passage in Ezra, jumps forward and says. And do you know what? They did it again and they did it again and they did it again. And talks about almost a century of opposition from these people. But then it comes back to the now, the present. In the moment of rebuilding, in that moment of opposition, the money dries up. The building work in the end stops after all this opposition. It goes on for a little while, but then it stops. It's only later under King Darius that the work begins again. So that's the context in which we're looking at this. But what we're going to focus on this morning are the first six verses of chapter four. Because this is where the trouble begins. Let's read those first first six verses together. I'll read them out and then we'll get into it. So Ezra chapter four verses one to six. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, "'Jeshua and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, "'You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. "'We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, "'as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us.' "'Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah "'and made them afraid to build, "'and bribed counsellors against them to frustrate their purpose.' All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. You can see the opposition there that the people, the Israelites, have from those around them. Now the offer comes, the offer of help, comes from people who say are adversaries of Judah and Benjamin. What it's important to realize at this point is that this account is being written after the persecution. And so they are adversaries. But in that moment, in the now of this happening, they hadn't actually opposed them at that point. They weren't adversaries at that actual point. With hindsight, they were. So at that point, they had done nothing at all to warrant that description of adversaries. Now these are people who had been settled in the area while the Israelites have been in exile. And they wanted to get involved. They even say in verse 2 that they worship the same God. How wonderful. Many hands make light work. But in verse 3 they get turned down by Zerubbabel, Jeshua and the rest of the leaders. And they say this. You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Remember, at this point, they're not adversaries, but they have turned down the help. Why? Why have they turned down the help from these people? Well, I've got three possible reasons. Two of them we'll go over quite quickly and one of them... We will focus on. So here are the three reasons. Firstly, political. They didn't potentially want to violate the agreement that they had with King Cyrus, who had said, you go and build. He hadn't said, you go and build and include everybody else. He went, you build. The second potential reason is motive. Maybe they knew deep down that the motive of these people that were offering help wasn't good. And that they didn't really want to help, but actually sabotage and hinder. And the third potential reason for them turning down the help was what I've called here religious exclusivity. It was their job as the people of God. They had the truth. They were the children of God. And no one else is coming in to help. It is ours. All ours. So... Three potential reasons for refusing the help. So what about the first two? Politics and motivation. So politics. Is it possible that if Cyrus had found out that the exiles who'd returned had involved others around them, could it have violated the agreement he had with them for building the city? Well, I think it's unlikely I'm not sure Cyrus would have really been that bothered. I wonder whether it was just an excuse to turn them down and keep the outsider out. I'm not sure that politics would have been the reason. Let's face it, it wasn't just the exiles doing everything, because in the end it was a pagan king that had given them the funds and were bankrolling this operation. They're the ones who had said, he's the one that had said, go and do it. So they'd already got a pagan king involved. He was giving them the money. So when in verse 3 Zerubbabel says, we alone will build, seems to be conveniently forgetting who his financial benefactor is. Far more likely than that is that they doubted the motivation behind the offer of help from those they didn't really know. And you might say, well, look how the story panned out. They got it right if they doubted their motivation. But again, we don't really know if they'd have accepted the help, whether these people would have been helpful or not. We don't know because we are supposing what might have happened if they'd have made a different decision. But you do have to ask if they genuinely wanted to help. By being turned down and then doing nothing, they would have helped. In the end, they did hinder. So maybe they were right, maybe their motives were not good from the start. But what of reason three? Religious exclusivity. And what does that even mean? The Israelites had a strong identity as the people of God. They were chosen. And they're right, they were chosen by God. God chose them as his people. And said, I will be your God. But that didn't mean they shouldn't welcome people from outside their nation. All through the Old Testament, there were rules as to how to treat the foreigner and the sojourner, the person passing through. Basically people who were not Jews, not one of them. So there was no reason in their law and their faith that meant they had to turn this help away. Some have even proposed that they could have avoided unnecessary suffering and opposition if they'd have accepted the help. Although the passage doesn't say that one way or another. But the question remains, why did they refuse this help? Now, around the same time as the rebuilding, there was a prophet called Zechariah. And his prophecies are recorded in the book In the Bible, that is, rather unsurprisingly, called Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 8, he prophesies a coming peace and prosperity to the nation of Israel. That there will be a rebuilding of the temple. And the presence of God will come. And in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 to 23, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come. Even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favour of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favour of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nation of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Something very similar is prophesied much earlier as well by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 2, and for time's sake we won't go into that now. But would the returning exiles have been better off for accepting the people of other nations to come and serve their God with them and build with them as Zechariah was prophesying? Quite possibly. As I've said before, we can't fully answer that. But was that prophecy of Zechariah for them for then? We know that the turning down the offer of help didn't go well for them. So how does this speak to us today? Because it's all very well us looking at this passage and saying, well, you know, we can suppose this and suppose that and, you know, maybe this and maybe that. What's God saying to us in this? And while those three reasons, we can't prove one or the other, I just felt, And we felt, as a team, that there was a warning here for us. A warning about religious exclusivity. A warning about turning away people who are not like us. Who maybe don't have a part in what we're doing right now. Because we need to be really, really careful. Because if that prophecy from Zechariah was not to be fulfilled then... It's certainly been fulfilled now. Because we do know that salvation came from the Jews. It came from Jesus who was a Jew. And that many nations now, people from many nations, have turned to Jesus. That prophecy in Zechariah, we live in the good of some of that now. Because we live in the good of what Jesus has done, bringing all this together together. Under him. So how does this speak to us today? Because even if there's just a hint of religious exclusivity in this passage. We have to take this seriously. As a warning to us. So my question this morning. Is how do we treat those who are different to us? How do we treat those who at the moment are not part of this family? How do we do that? Has the church in the West, has Jubilee, have the churches around us, have we turned this faith, this love of Jesus, have we turned it into an exclusive religious club? that no one else can penetrate. If we have, we need to put it right. If we have, it's probably not deliberate. But actually sometimes for people who are really different to us, it can be so hard to be part of a church. Zerubbabel in Ezra chapter 4 verse 3 says, you have no part with us. We would never say that to people, would we? We would never say to the people around us, you're not coming in here. You're not part of us. But do we say it by our actions? And with the things we say and with the language we use, do we make this just impenetrable for people? Do we exclude others just by how we are? It's serious. It's really, really serious. Over the years, the church, and and when I... I'll explain this now because it saves me saying this every time. When I say the church, I'm meaning the the worldwide church, particularly the Western church. If I'm talking about us as a local church community, I'll say Jubilee. Um, It's easier than explaining that every time. But has that wider church sometimes behaved or, or even been perceived by others as behaving in such a way that to be part of the community, you've got to behave yourself. Before you even get to Jesus, you behave yourself and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start thinking about letting you in you need to know how to behave how to fit in then maybe maybe if you do the right things you'll believe and then you can truly belong it's been behave believe and then only then belong but is that right is that really the way it should be Zerubbabel just said, tough, you're not part of us, on your way. I was going to say on your bike. I don't think they had bikes then. What a terrible thing not to have bikes then. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Anyway. Zerubbabel just said, off you go. Compare that to Jesus, who said, come with me. When he called the disciples who were fishermen, he said, he didn't say, believe in me and then come along. He didn't do that, did he? He said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. They went and they belonged. They went with Jesus. They didn't say, well, hang on a minute. What have I got to do? They just went with Jesus because he said, come with me. Come and belong to me. And only then did they start to believe. And then, slowly, bit by bit, they became more like Jesus. So, Instead of behave, believe, belong, they were called to belong, then believe, and then behave. And by behave, I mean become more like Jesus. If we are asking people to be a certain way before they know Jesus, we're not calling them to true discipleship. We're calling them to something false. How on earth can someone behave and be like Jesus without the Spirit of God in them, without belonging to Jesus? It's just a tick list of rules and regulations. it's legalism. People need to be called to discipleship, not conformance. We're not here to make everyone look like us. Which is just as well. <laughs> We have a challenge ahead of us. And that challenge ahead of us is to accept people who are different to us. If you hadn't noticed, we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. (laughs) Oh boy, are we sick of that. But, do you know what? We struggle, don't we? We're struggling with it. We're struggling with it and we've got Jesus with us. How are other people feeling? It's knocking people. It's undermining everything people think and believe. People are looking for answers. What is this all about? What is life? Are we ready to bring them in and then answer their questions? I truly believe that God is going to be bringing people to us who are not like us. They won't act like us. They won't have the same background as us. They will come and they will want to build alongside us. Do you know why? Because they'll see something amazing and go, I want some of that. They won't know what it is, but they want it. They see the community. They see the value in our community. Do you know, there'll be people that come to us and we won't know where they stand before God. We won't know even if they understand what the church is. Will we welcome them anyway? Or are we going to be like Sir Rubber Boughton and say, I'm sorry, you've got no part with us. Well, not until you tick these boxes anyway. And this is not about tolerance, okay? Don't tolerance is a big word these days. Tolerance just means that you do what you like. This is about love. Are you willing to love people who might let you down? Who can't behave the way you think they should in meetings and things? Who have different ways of doing things? Who challenge our way of doing things? They don't look like you. They don't smell like you. If we can't love people like that, then we are in direct opposition to how Jesus feels about them. It's hard, isn't it? Jubilee, we need to start thinking wider than we do. We've got to be ready to almost blur the boundary of our community with those who don't know Jesus yet. And allow them to be part of what we're doing. And build with us. Now we don't compromise on the gospel. And we don't compromise on sin. Jesus never did. But he said come. And we need to say yes. Come build with us and meet Jesus. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. To deal with that person. Who turns up drunk to life group and proceeds to insult everybody in that life group. Or that same person who, yes, drunk again, is banging on your door at one o'clock in the morning, shouting at the top of his voice as to why your theology is wrong and wakes up half the street. Yes, that's a true story. Yes, that has happened to us, to me and Pam. Challenging. That guy wasn't like me. But he loved Jesus and wanted to know Jesus and saw something attractive there. They want to know Jesus and they want to belong. But quite often they need to belong first so they can see who Jesus is. Are we going to let them in and not just tolerate them, but love them? And allow them to belong exactly like we do. Too often, we act as though we've got it all sorted. We know the truth. We've got it. We're the chosen ones, just like the Israelites did. Do you know what? We don't have it all. We don't know it all. We don't have it all right. We need a wider subsection, cross-section rather, of society amongst us to help us learn. Because do you know what? Without knowing more people from more backgrounds and different kinds of people, we won't truly understand who Jesus is because he is reflected in a whole diversity, because he created diversity. Are we ready to accept people as they are, just like Jesus does? The person still struggling with addiction, the person who's in and out of prison, the person whose skin is a different colour to yours, Or even just someone with a hard-to-understand accent? How much time and effort are we going to put in with the homeless, the broken? I'm really passionate about this and I don't want to belong to a monocultural church. I don't want to belong to a church where everybody's white and middle class. There's nothing wrong with being white and middle class, by the way. But there's more to life than that. I want to see the full diversity of God's creation around me. It's good for me. It's good for us. Wow, time runs away so fast. (laughs) I could talk about this for a long, long time, as you probably guessed. We've got so much to learn about this. I'm only skimming the surface. We could probably do a whole series just on this subject. But I'm learning so much about this. I have had the privilege of meeting some, I hope you're watching, guys, some lovely, lovely people on the Alpha course over the past few weeks whose backgrounds are very different to mine. They have been through things that I can't even begin to imagine. I think I'm better off for knowing them. And Jubilee, we are better off for having them in our community. They're just they're wonderful people. And I want to learn about people from different backgrounds to mine so that I can understand more fully how Jesus works and operates and the things he does. So limited when you only have your own experience and the experience of those around you who are like you. I need to wrap up and bring this to some sort of conclusion. The Israelites didn't want others building with them, and whatever their reason, they didn't want. We know that. There's little doubt that they were closed to outsiders. We can learn from this and be open to those who are not like us. We need to be ready to repent for the times that we've not been open to those who are different from us wanting to build with us. We can be really creative about those we build with in order to help people see who Jesus is. Will we be the ones who expect others to behave before they believe, and only then let them belong? Or will we, and here's the challenge, will we be the people who allow all sorts to belong to our community in some way, and then see them, meet Jesus, and believe, and then change into who Jesus wants them to be? just got a few, how many, five points, five little things here just to leave you with. Um, Some little challenges. Who does God want you to reach out to and to accept or to accept because they're reaching out to you? Who does God want you to reach out to? The second one. Think about how you act and speak about Jesus. Does that draw people in? Or does it make people feel separate? How's our language in how we describe things? How we talk? Do people understand us? Or do they just go, it's a bit of a a strange little club over there? Here's another challenge. Do you only know people who are just like you? Or do you know people who are very, very different? There's a challenge. There's lots here, aren't there? We'll get these up on, on the Facebook page at some point. Two more. Do you need to repent for how you've treated or thought about people different to you? That challenging person that you just think, do you know what? Easier to get away from them. The final one. Who are you building with? Who are you saying, yeah, come on in, come and build with me? Who are you building with? I just want to pray before we finish. There's a lot to take in there. And there's a lot of challenges. And we're not going to get this right in a moment. This is a lifelong work. A lifelong building. But there's some steps we can take, like some of those challenges I've given immediately. And uh, I'm just going to pray that we have God's help in that. Father, you have put everybody on this planet. You have made a way to yourself for everybody. Father, I pray that we as the church won't hinder people coming to know you. That we won't hinder people coming to know you because they're not quite like us. Father, where we have got this wrong, forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we have excluded people, even without realising it. We don't want to do that. We want to build with as many people as possible. Father, show us who it is you want us to build with. Help us to reach out to those people that just have never been reached before in this area and the surrounding areas. Father, we want to build and see built a church that reflects your community, your diversity, that reflects your heart. Bring people across our paths, that need to know you, that need to belong, that need to be part of this community. Father, it's hard at the moment with everything shut down, but nothing's impossible for you. So even now, Father, those who are searching to belong to something, those who have heard your call but don't know it's you, we want to say, yeah, come. We'll show you who's calling you. Just come and be part of us and you'll meet him. We want that to be our attitude, Father. Help us to get this right, Lord. Help us to be those who love those who are different from us. Because we want to honour you. And we want to make that an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name, Amen.